How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Good for you. How many who made New Year's resolutions already broke those resolutions? At least one of them. Okay. How many don't even bother to make resolutions because you know you won't be able to keep them? Okay. And how many make them but already know why they're writing them out that they're not going to keep them? Okay. So I make resolutions every year without fail. I always make resolutions. And you know, some of my resolutions, watch less television. I don't even watch that much. And I'm going to tell you, I already blew that one. I watched like five episodes of Columbo. What? (laughs) Columbo, you know, Peter Falk and he's got the eye, you know, I read more books, spend more time in prayer, eat better. How many of you had that one? Eat better. Okay. Yeah. See, I feel your pain. Exercise with regularity. Be friendlier. That's one of my, you know, I'm I'm sitting in the coffee shop going, be friendly, be friendly, but I don't know them, but be friendly. (laughs) Deny myself even more. Learn a new language. Hola. I always mean well when I make these resolutions. I even start well. I do so well January 1st. I am really good. Of course, that's a holiday. A lot of options aren't open to me. But I I do really well. I try everything to keep them. In fact, this is what I do. Like, if I'm going to eat well, I get rid of all the junk food. Everything's gone, especially tortilla chips, which are my downfall. I I get rid of everything that could possibly make me fail. I I get exercise equipment so I can stare at it all the year. (laughs) I get rid of all the distractions. You know, like no Netflix, you know, no hula. You know, like I wipe them off my computer screen. It's not going to happen. But YouTube has Columbo episodes. Um, I buy all the right books. So there's a stack of books just like, hi, I am so ready. I am so prepared to do good. I seriously have everything I need to do well, everything. I have no excuses. I even promise myself rewards and curses. Do you do that to yourself? I promise myself rewards. Like, Cheryl, if you eat really well, you get a cookie. I do. You get a, I sweeten them with agave, but I get it anyway. You know, and I, I promise myself these things if, if, I, if I'm really good or I, I get to go out to lunch and I get to meet a friend. One of my favorite things in the whole wide world, and this is really bizarre, I love hamburgers. And I only like two hamburger places, but I love, 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 love their hamburgers. So if I'm really, really, really good, I get a hamburger. Do you know it's been like months since I've had a hamburger? And there's a reason for that. I haven't yet met the standard for a hamburger. I get to take a bath. Now, this is big because we have a water shortage in Costa Mesa. So if I keep my showers short enough for one month, I get to reward myself by having a bath or I get an extra latte if I haven't done too much caffeine. But you know what? If I blow it, I'm not allowed any extra coffee or to go out for coffee. I have to make my own at home. Or I have to clean out my closet. That is painful. 
I beat myself up. I have mental torments. Uh, you know, Allison, what is wrong with you? What's your problem, Cheryl? I do that to myself. I'm my own worst enemy. And, you know, I'm schizophrenic. What's wrong with you? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I want to be good. Yeah, but you're not. You know, and it keeps going. Why can't you even hold out for just a week? I mean, it was January 2nd that you watched Columbo. I know, I know. I have emotional abuse to me. You know, you are so unworthy. Who could love you? You're so undisciplined. And when Brian's like, I love you, you're like, why? Why? Why would you do that? So stupid. You know, I'm a, I do this. And then there's always the physical catch up, trying to do other things and nice things to make up for my omissions. You know, if you get in a fight with your husband, you want to call your kids and be extra nice to them. So they know it can't be you, it's got to be him. Because see how nice I am to you? There's, then there's a spiritual lethargy. Like, why even try? Why even bother? You should just watch every Columbo that was ever made. You know, why even try that spiritual lethargy? Why are you doing this to yourself when you just know you're going to fail? But let me tell you, my resolutions are good resolutions. They really are. They are good resolutions. And I want to keep them with all of my heart. It's not like I don't. It's not like I write them and go, look, let me write some stupid resolutions that I'll never keep. No, I write them because they're good because they're good. And if I could do them, I would be so much improved. I would be so good if I could eat healthier. That would be so good for me physically. It would, if I could get in good shape, then maybe I'd have the energy to keep up with my grandchildren just a little bit longer. Because I have four boys and one girl. Grandkids, boys are energetic. I'd be able to communicate better to people of other languages. I'd enhance my brain power, and therefore I would be a, a, a better communicator of God's word. If, if I could only, if I could only keep my resolutions. But the problem is not with my resolutions. Those are good resolutions. You know what the problem is? Me. I am my own biggest problem. I'm the problem. I'm limited by Cheryl. Cheryl limits me. I'm distracted. I'm detoured. I'm discouraged. I'm delayed. I'm tired, tempted, tossed, and terrified. That's me. And this keeps me from, from all those good resolutions that I will to do, that I want to do, and I realize I have no power in and of myself to keep even my best resolutions. Again, it doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how much I want to keep them. There is something warring inside of me so that the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Have you ever resolved not to speed or go through yellow red lights? Let me tell you, 
I ran a yellow light, a yellow light. And I realized the car behind me ran it too. And I was like, that was a full red one. I look in my rear view mirror. It's a police car. <laughs> I don't know what further comment that needs. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Like Paul, I want to cry out, oh, wretched man that I am. Except in my case, I would say, oh, wretched woman that I am. Who will deliver me from me? Who can deliver me from me, from my personal limitations? Resolutions are laws that we bind ourselves to. But what about God's laws? They're universal. They're for everyone. They don't have out clauses like, well, that was 2015 or that's 2016. There's no option with that. The Roman church was confused about their relationship to the law. They had tried to live the law. They were frustrated. They had found that they couldn't. So they were asking Paul, do we ignore it? Do we forego it? Do we you know, pretend it's not there? Do we neglect it? Or do we try again to fulfill the law, to do what it says? Like us, their relationship was frustrating, confusing, and had many questions. In Romans chapter 7, Paul explores the believer's relationship to the law, and he explains the believer's position to the law. What is our position now to the law? He explains the believer's perspective concerning the Mosaic law and the problems with the Mosaic law. So the first, um, from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, he tells us what are we, our position to the law is. What is our position? How are we supposed to, you know, handle the law now? And he said, I want you to think of the law like your first husband, like a marriage to a very domineering, very um, emotionally cold, indifferent husband. Someone who told you everything you did wrong, but nothing you did right. And even when you clean the house as best you could, he would come in and find that one thing that you omitted, that, that spider web way up in the corner, or that, that bit of dust on the table, or that white sock that missed the front load of whites. Just that one thing that, that you forgot. It was unemotional toward us. It never complimented, never commended, and we could never ever be fully secure in our relationship with the law. You could never feel with the law, I'm so loved. I'm so doing this right. So we can, we can have good moments. We can have good days. We can have good weeks. But really, we never have good months, do we? I mean, seriously, there's always something that our best efforts. You know, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. But when I do laundry, I have a front-loading machine, right? And I think that I have gotten every dirty white thing in my house. And I'm feeling so good. Like they're all in there. And I go to the bathroom or I go in the kitchen. There's all these dish towels that were like, you forgot us. And when you have a front loader, 
you, you can't open that door. It's like, uh-uh, you missed it. You broke the law. It's over. <laughs> you're going to have to wait for another day when you've got enough white so you're not wasting water to try this again. And you might just forget again, and then what? Then you're going to be stuck for weeks with dirty dish towels. And how will that make you feel? You might even run out of clean dish towels because you forgot us. The law is critical, told us when we were doing wrong, held up a standard that was so high, so high. You jump as high as you could, and you're like, hmm, missed it by two inches. You could never reach that standard so, so high, but never helped us to reach that standard. Did nothing, didn't empower us, didn't, um, didn't help us. It did nothing for us. And then it compared us to others. There's nothing worse than being compared to other wives. Nothing. I hate it. Brian and I were on a cruise and, and Scott Cunningham and Megan. Yeah, Megan. They had come back and they had been she, she looks so sweet. They had been what they called scooter riding. Like, scooter? I like scooters. They go slow. So Brian said, let's go scooter riding at the next stop. So I said, yes. But when we got to the scooter shop, those weren't scooters. They were motorcycles. I hate motorcycles. I despise motorcycles. I'm traumatized over motorcycles. My brother Chuck got in a terrible, terrible accident when I was 12 in a motor, on a motorcycle. And ever since then, I've sworn off motorcycles. I, I just don't do them. You'll never find me on a Harley, not even in a picture posed. It's like Harleys are not for Cheryl. So Brian's going, look at this. This is so fun. Cause his dad, his dad used to ride with the Hells Angels. Brian was raised with motorcycles. Some people have dogs. His family had motorcycles. And he's like, this will be so fun. And I said, Brian, I'm not doing that. Why not? It's a motorcycle. This is what Brian says. Look at all these wives submitting to their husbands. You don't see Megan acting like you. You want that made me do? I liked Megan up until that time. She had never offended me, never done anything wrong to me. But when that comparison started, I glared at all my friends. That comparison. Brian and I were on a couple's cruise. Did I mention that? And we were speaking that night. Did, do I need to tell you that we had one of the worst fights of our entire life? And, and that I had murder in my heart. It was bad. I got on the back of that motorcycle after prodding. I got on the back of it. And all I could do was tell him how much I hated that motorcycle. How angry I was. And everything, I criticized everything. Everything about the island I was on. Everything about the seat I was on. Everything about the sweat on his back that I had to feel. Everything about the army helmet that probably had lice in it that I had to wear. And you know what he said to me? 
shut up. Yeah, we're on a cruise. We're a godly couple. That which we would, we did not. And that which we would not, we did. And I said to him in, in a really, really sweet tone, you want me to shut up? Wait till you hear what else I have to say. You know what he did? He turned around, he pulled over and let me off the motorcycle and handed me the helmet. Seriously. And then he rode off to go with Scott and Megan and the other good wives. When he got back from that motorcycle ride, it's a long story, which I won't go into, but he's like, Cheryl, God gave us an illustration because our stories of marriage were getting so old. We needed a new one. But that's what the law does. It sets us up for comparison, doesn't it? You know, well, they did that. How come you didn't do it? They did that better. And it's this measurement standard. And that's exactly how the Pharisees and the religious elite used it. They used it as a measuring standard. And they used it to measure themselves. Remember the the Pharisee that prays in Luke chapter 18, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like others. Or like that publican over there, I tithe. And what did he do? He started enumerating the laws that he kept. And it made him feel better than other people because the law sets us up for comparisons. Having met with Christ, though, our our position to the law is that it is our first husband. It is that critical first husband. Our covenant with the law, our marriage to the law was, according to verse four, it was in the flesh. It was our fleshly sin nature that was married to the law. But in Christ, we have died to that flesh nature. As it says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. That is my flesh nature has been crucified with Christ. It has been put to death with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, not my flesh nature, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Our life in the flesh was put to death on the cross with the laws. Remember, in Colossians, it tells us that all the ordinances that were against us were nailed to that cross, and so is our flesh flesh nature, so that we could have a new nature, so that the Spirit of God could live in us, and our new covenant is no longer in the flesh, but in in the Spirit, and by the Spirit. In Romans 6, 11, Paul said, Likewise you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In dying, in crucifying our flesh nature with Christ, we were let out of the marriage contract with the law so that we were free to covenant with Jesus Christ to be married to Jesus Christ. Our first marriage in the law was till death do us part and someone had to die and it was our flesh nature. So our flesh nature has been put to death. 
that we might be married to Christ. And now by faith, we are joined. We are covenanted because marriage is a covenant. It's an agreement. It's a pact you make with someone till death do you part. And now we are in that covenant with Jesus Christ. We are married with Jesus. But Jesus is not like our first husband. He's not cold. He's not critical. He's not unemotional. He's not demanding. Jesus is our great high priest. According to Hebrews chapter 4, he's an understanding husband. You know, Paul says that marriage is to be a picture A Christian marriage is to be a picture of Christ with the church. He tells us that in Ephesians chapter 5. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter that the husbands are to dwell with the wives according to understanding, lest their prayers be hindered. I love that. I use that a lot. Because why Jesus understands us. We have a husband in Christ who understands us. When we're like, I don't know why I'm acting this way. Have you ever acted and you don't understand why you're acting that way? Yes, you have, because you're a woman. And the Lord will speak to you and say, honey, you're afraid. That's it. I'm afraid. Honey, you're frustrated. Yes, I'm frustrated. He knows us so much better than we know ourselves. And he understands us. He doesn't go, stop being afraid. He says, I know you're afraid and I'm going to help you out of your fears. I'm here. I am here. I know you're frustrated, but I'm here. I'm your help. I'm not going to make you do the dishes by yourself. I'm going to help you. I'm going to energize you. I don't know how many of you know this, but when I first married Brian, I was messy, 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 messy. I remember coming home from school one time and seeing my dad like this on my bed. And it's only because my mother had had a nervous breakdown when she discovered all my hiding places for my dirty clothes and said, Chuck, you deal with Cheryl. And so I come home and he's sitting on the bed and he's rubbing his head. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing here among all my dirty clothes sitting on my bed? And he said, he looks up at me and goes, Cheryl, where did your mother and I go wrong? Where, where did we go wrong? I sat next to him. I said, Dad, I'm 16 years old. I love Jesus. I love you. I love Mom. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I go to church every chance I can. I've got great grades. I think you need to pat yourself on the back for doing such a great job. What are a few dirty clothes compared to that? And you know, he couldn't help but smile. And he looked at me and he said, wash your clothes. I will, Dad. Not a problem. But Pat, good Dad, good Dad, good Dad. But you know, Jesus, he, he loves us. He understands us. He helps us with these things. So I was a messy, I married a messy person. One of us had to die. I wanted Brian to die. He wanted me to die. I died. I had to become like clean. 
I had to become hygienic. I was always self-hygienic. It was other things. And, you know, I had to, I had to become clean. And it was a struggle because you know, we had children right away. We had a, a, a little girl and a hyperactive boy. And, and then Brian took on the church in Vista, and I was overly busy. And I'm trying to clean the house because people would come in and were always staying with us. And I remember just crying out at Bible study, like, would you please pray for me that the Lord will energize me to have a clean house. And the Lord gave me this prayer. Lord, give me the strength of 10 Amazon women. <laughs> now, I don't even know if there are Amazon women. If, if they were, they were, you know, pre-Diluvian before the flood. But I wanted that, so they were Nephilim. I wanted that strength. And so I began to pray. And you know what? It was not, not me, but Christ. And I, when I looked at my house being clean, I would say, this is a miracle. This is so God. And not only that, but Brian began to die to Brian and begin to help cleaning the house. Oh, God works in miraculous ways, his wonders to perform. But our, our new covenant with Jesus, he's a gracious husband. He helps us. We're told in Romans 8, 26, that he sends his Holy Spirit to comfort us, to help us in our weaknesses. He even intercedes for us. He motivates us. He inspires us. He praises us. He loves us. You know, going back to Brian, if somebody would say to me, now, Cheryl, be faithful to Brian. Be faithful to Brian. I, you know, nobody has to tell me to be faithful to Brian. Nobody. Because you know what? I'm faithful because I love the guy. I think he's getting better looking even with age. And I love his little tummy, but don't tell him that. I, I love Brian Broderson. And nobody has to tell me to be faithful to him because it's, it's the desire of my heart to bless, to please, to walk alongside him. It's the privilege of my life. In the same way, the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. But when the spirit comes in and, and puts us in this covenant with Jesus Christ, we don't have to be told to love God, our spirit begins to cry out, Abba, Father. And we get, begin to pray, oh Lord, I love you, but let me love you more. What a privilege to love you. What an honor to serve you. What a blessing to walk with you. Oh, the change of attitude that comes when we're in this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. We are encouraged. We are rewarded. We are equipped. And he ministers to us. So our relationship to the law is like a wife with her ex-husband. The law can no longer speak into our lives, dominate us. And we do not seek to please the law, but to please Jesus. And as we please Jesus and walk with Jesus, we naturally do those things that once we could not do. So what is the perspective on the law as a believer? Is the law evil? No, the law is good. Paul tells us that the law is just and good and spiritual and holy. But the problem that the Jews had, their perspective on the law was they saw the law as an end in itself. 
that if I can obey the law, God will have to accept me. And so they tried to use the law to get to God. And in doing so, they added to it. Like even the garden, with the prohibition, you shall not eat of the tree, she added or even touch it. That was adding to it. In other words, that will keep me away from it if I just add a couple more laws. And we realized that even the extra laws were not enough to keep her from eating of the forbidden tree. The religious leaders had tacked on so many observances to the original law. And they did this so that they would not disobey the original. But to the Ten Commandments, they codified it to be 613 commandments. No longer 10, but 613. And in doing so, they took the Sabbath, which God created as a day of rest and a day of blessing, and they ended making it a cursed day and a work and a duty and burdensome. They created the Mishnah, which is a commentary on the Torah or Moses' law, which is like three times as long as the original Torah. The law became a way to justify themselves, to excuse themselves, measure themselves. And it was not about what God had done for them, but what they could do for God. The original intention of the law, our perspective on the law is to see it as it was originally intended. According to verse 7 of Romans chapter 7, it was to identify sin, to tell you what sin was. Okay, so that's a sin. To show men their basic unrighteousness. To show all men how much they needed to be saved from their own sin nature. Because Jesus came that he might save his people from their sin, from their sin nature. But first we had to realize that we have a sin nature. This thing is at work in us so that we need Jesus. The law does not cause sin, but it identifies sin. Again, according to verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, just, and good. The law does not produce sin in us, but it arouses the rebellious sin nature in us. It wakes up our flesh nature, because the commandments are shouting at us and they're making our flesh wake up. And we don't like to be awakened. I remember one time being at the uh, Bible college and I'd spent an extra night after the retreat because I had to speak and I was lying in bed and all of a sudden the door began to open. It was about one o'clock in the morning and I don't know how I did it, but with one great leap out of the bed, I went to the door, put my hand on it, and in the meanest voice, I said, oh, no, you don't. And as I looked, there was this little girl who was the security guard who had a little paper sack that had a gift from somebody to me, and she thought the room was empty. She was shaking. She was absolutely shaking. And I said, honey, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She hands it to me. She kind of throws it in the room, goes running off. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My subconscious is really mean. I'm really nice when I'm awake. But when I'm awakened, 
I'm not nice. Maybe some of you are grouchy in the morning. You say, I'm really a nice person at night, or you get me in the afternoon. But before coffee, it's not pretty. Sin awakens. It awakens. I mean, the law awakens our sin nature. All of a sudden, we realize that those things are resident in us, that they are living in us. It awakens the rebel by telling us everything we're doing wrong. It awakens our nature by our own frustration and trying to keep it because we realize we can't and we get mad and we get frustrated. So like our New Year's resolutions, we want to give up and indulge in the very thing that we've said and vowed not to do. At this point, then the law comes in and condemns us because we haven't kept it, because we are angry with it. Paul says in verse 13, has then what is good become death to me? Has law become death? And he says, certainly not, but sin is causing the death, that it might appear sin, that we might recognize it as sin. And sin was, and I love that past tense, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. But the law is good. The law identifies sin, not only in the world, but also in me. And sin takes advantage of the law. So then what is the problem with the law? If the law is holy and good and, and it's right, so what's the problem? Me. I'm the problem. My sin nature is the problem. The law is good, but my sinful nature, that nature that dwells in me, that was given to me by Adam and Eve. In biblical times, if a father did not have the money to pay a debt, he could sell his children into slavery. And then the children were born into slavery and they didn't have any choice. They couldn't get themselves out of slavery. The only way they could get out of slavery is for someone to pay their father's debt and redeem them and take them out of slavery. Adam sold us into slavery to sin. When he ate of that tree, he, he took on a debt that was so big he couldn't pay. So he sold all of his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren under sin. So we were born with a slave, we were born as slaves to sin, to this sin nature that we have. And Paul brings it out in verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. David said in Psalm 16, my goodness is nothing apart from you. In other words, David is crying out to God, I don't have any goodness apart from you. You're everything that's good in me. And that's what Paul's saying. In my flesh, in this natural human nature, there is nothing that can react and respond to the law the correct way. Nothing. It's like when God said to the universe, let there be light. He didn't expect this darkened universe to, to you know, work really hard. You know, like, come on, planets. You know, if we just run together, in fact, there weren't any planets. Come on, emptiness. You know, come on, void. Nothing. There was nothing to answer back. God, when he spoke, infused the universe with light. When he said, let there be light, he brought light 
into the universe. So in my flesh, in my nature, there is nothing to answer back to the law of God. But when Jesus comes in, he speaks, he puts his spirit, he puts his light in me. And then his light responds to the law. In my natural nature, I am absolutely incapable of responding righteously to the command of God, even though I know it's good, even though I want to do it. I am incapable of it. My best efforts fall short. And then sin is a predator. Sin has a way of taking what is good to bring me into its captivity. The law is good. Have you ever noticed how predators play upon people's trust, innocence, and compassion? Remember years ago, uh, well, there was a scam. My mother-in-law answered the phone, and she heard this, Grandma, Grandma, help me, help me. And she's like, what's wrong? Oh, Grandma. And she's like, is this Michael? Yes, Grandma, this is Michael. Are you in trouble, Michael? Oh, Grandma. If I don't get $5,000 right now, and this thing, and you know, Grandma, I need this. And so my mother-in-law gave him the information on the phone, only to realize it was a scam. Why did my mother-in-law do that? Because she is like the sweetest thing on earth. Because she cares about her grandson. This, this predator played upon her sweetness, her innocence, her compassion to stay deal from her. That's what this sin does. It plays on our compassion. It plays on our, our goodness, our desire to do good. It, it uses all that against us, against us to condemn us. As it says in verse eight, but sin taking opportunity, it's an opportunist by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and killed me. The commandment showed me how dead and helpless I was in my trespasses and sins, and then it began to compound my debt. As a Jew, Paul thought that the law was a way to live, but he was constantly living in frustration and anger, even it is so zealous. The, the more zealous he got for the law, the more murderous he got for mankind. The, the more he tried to adhere to the law, the more he tried to arrest Christians and put them to death and put them in jail. Instead of creating love and joy and peace, it created anger, resentment, aggression, hatred. The frustration is due to the sin nature in me. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, it's not that which goes into a man that defiles him, but that which is within a man, not that which comes out of him, uh, not that that goes into a man, but that which comes out for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile man. That's our sinful nature. That's our natural nature. That's where we are. 
It's that sin that is residing in all of us that is taking advantage of the law to produce and awaken in us all sorts of evil so that we live in the frustration of, for what I am doing, I do not understand. Have you ever not understood yourself? Why am I doing this? This is so bad for me. I hate this. Why am I eating my 10th piece of chocolate cake? Why am I doing this? For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul speaks of the constant frustration of trying to do good, that problem that we have. There is the problem of not doing what I know to do, omission. There's the problem of doing what I know is wrong, commission. And as Paul even calls this a law. He says, this is the law of sin. This is as much a, a law, the law of sin, as the Ten Commandments are the law of God. There is the law of sin. And the law of sin is that which I know to be good, I do not. And it's warring in me. It's warring in me against the law of God. And I am powerless to help myself. I've got a civil war going on in me. And Paul says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward nature. But the law that is in my members, the law that evil is present in me, keeps me from being all I want to be. It wars in my mind and brings me under the dominion of the law, leaves me feeling wretched, helpless, condemned, and frustrated and needing a deliver. That's, that's the problem with the law. Not the law, but me. But we go back again to what is our position to the law? We are no longer under the law. Our sinful nature has been nailed to the cross with Christ. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us here. Thank you, God, for taking away through Jesus Christ for nailing my sin nature, for doing for me what I could not do. Thank you, Jesus, for living a, the righteous life that I could not live. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law, for coming to earth, for mixing your deity with humanity and living the life I could not live. Thank you for dying the death I deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for living in me for covenanting with me in this relationship whereby I don't have to be a debtor to the law, but now I'm a debtor to grace. I'm a debtor to Jesus Christ. And where does that leave us? It leaves us not in frustration, but in thanksgiving so that no longer does frustration and anger and sin no longer are these the labels for our life, but our life now becomes described by thanksgiving, by joy. When we blow it, it's like, well, thank God his mercies are new every morning and my flesh dwells no good thing. Gotta give myself more to the spirit. That's what we do. Isn't that wonderful? So it's not me, like gonna try harder, speed up the treadmill, put an incline. No. It's that I just have to raise my hand and say, Jesus, do in me what you want to do. 
Do what I'm incapable of doing. Come take my heart. You know, when I find that my mouth is saying a naughty thing, because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what I need? Not to restrain my mouth. Not to make a list of good words that I speak and a list of bad words that I don't use. No. What I need is a heart cleansing. I need to say, Jesus, you come clean this heart because I don't even know where the dirty spots are. But obviously I've got them because I just met one. So will you come and cleanse my heart? Will you take whatever that is inside of me and get rid of it so that my heart can, can be yours? So that good words, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, that out of a good heart, good things flow. And out of an evil heart, evil things flow. Lord, will you change the direction of my heart? Will you put in a treasury of good so that good things and blessing and joy and thanksgiving flow out of this heart? And not curses and evil? What, where does it leave us? What is the remedy? The remedy is to recognize that we are now in a covenant with Jesus Christ. It is to realize that we are no longer under the law, that Jesus again lived the righteous life we should have lived. He took the punishment of our unrighteous life. And as we choose Jesus, and remember that our covenant is with Jesus, who understands, who loves, who helps us, who, un, who, who is working in us and equipping us, we then rejoice. Rejoice. We simply give thanks. And the more we rejoice and fill our hearts with joy, the stronger we are to, to be everything we've always wanted to be but couldn't be. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Not beating ourselves up, not cursing ourselves, but rejoicing in Christ Jesus. And the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. The ultimate remedy is just to be in this covenant with Jesus Christ. And then you can rejoice because Christ fulfills the law in you. So it is no longer you, but Christ in you. And we get to enjoy, enjoy, rejoice in our relationship with Christ Jesus. We get to say, wow, you are so understanding. You are so loving. I don't want to be with anybody but you for all my life. You're it. You're the end. You're everything I've ever wanted. You're everything I've ever needed. You're also really good looking. I want to be with you forever and ever and ever. That's what we get to do. We get to rejoice and celebrate our relationship with Jesus Christ. We get to delight in him. As it says in Psalm 37, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's no longer this striving. Striving becomes delighting and rejoicing and thanksgiving. And as we do this, God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, to accomplish all he intends so that people can see Jesus in us and not that really ugly flesh nature, 
but the beauty of Christ. So rest from your strivings, rest from your resolution, rest from your works. You are in a covenant with Jesus Christ. So rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Stand up. <laughs> the clapping was those like me that have broken those resolutions already. <laughs> Lord, we thank you through Jesus Christ that you did in us what we could not do. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you put our flesh nature to death, and we just have to recognize that it's on the cross, it's dead, and that we've died to those things and reckon ourselves alive to you. Lord, that you are our life, and Lord, that you are wonderful. Oh, Lord, let us focus on how wonderful you are, how good you are, how understanding, how capable, how strong, how kind, how compassionate. Lord, that you hear us. You know us, you see us, you love us, you adore us, you will comfort us, you will strengthen us, you will rejoice over us with singing because you are the greatest, greatest husband and you have brought us into a direct relationship with your father. Lord, we want to rejoice in Christ Jesus today. Lord, take away our garments of sadness from our first marriage, our mourning, and give us the garments, those white shining garments that are ours as the bride of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.